0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DW avoid Void are prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome into the Hard Count. I'm J.D. Piquel. We are so fired up to have you here. The show that promises to continue to keep our culture trending in the right direction. We don't care about who we had the week before or what the result was. This is the People Show. So everything that you know. Everything that you love about college football, it happens here on a daily basis. Why, you ask? Well, Nick Brake is doing the heavy lifting. And also, in addition to that, you help drive the show. How do you help drive the show? By subscribing to the channel and contributing in the comment section. Also, follow me on social media, at JDPakell on Twitter and on Instagram. I always say this. I always forget to say this, I should say to start the show. We're on podcast. So if you like Spotify, we're there. If you like Apple, we're there. Anywhere you get your podcast, you can listen into to The Hard Count. We have a great show lined up for you tonight. So excited to get into it. Week three is upon us. Week three is here, and there is no more half-stepping of, oh my gosh, I'm so glad college football's back. We're into the belly of the beast now. I've said that a couple times before, but week three is is really, I mean, honestly, it's the end of the first quarter of the season when it comes to the regular season format. So we got to make sure that we're keeping this thing churning on both ends, all right? We're going to hold it down right here. Need y'all to continue to add to what we do here. Like I said, comment section, social media, podcast comments. We want you as involved as possible. Roll party roll. One quick little dissertation I think we have to start this show off with is the confusion that surrounds the beginning of the college football season from a perspective standpoint. Because week one is that adrenaline rush. All these big time matchups. Credit to the TV networks. They've done a great job showcasing the best of college football. And these teams have scheduled accordingly. you got the big brands of week one, the Georgia and Oregon. You have, who else we have? Florida State, LSU. You have a lot of shimmery, glimmery, shining matchups, right? And then you get to week two, week three, and you say, ah, I don't know, looks a little bit sleepy. Because you're comparing it to week one, for starters. Second, there's no such thing as a sleepy Saturday in college football. You know that if you're watching this show because you're probably a lifer. You're probably a diehard. But you let those people on the outside that kind of like to make noise and just sort of throw stones and they say, why are you watching this week and there's no good games on? They said that week too, didn't they? They tried to tell you. They tried to get in here and say, come on, why don't, why don't you come with us and do something else on Saturday? F states playing A&M? <laughs> okay, I mean, that's not even going to be a game. You want to waste your time watching that game? How do they look now? Probably a whole bunch of yolk on their face right from the egg that's there. So let that be a lesson to them. Let that be a teaching point to them that you can now illustrate. You have that ammunition to say, you think it's a sleepy weekend? He said that last weekend too. When Marshall went into South Bend, what happened? Every single weekend of this regular season matters so much. That's why we must protect the sport at all costs. All right, roll, party, roll. Like I said, great show lined up. We have some best bets against the Suits is back. We have five winners in an at-your-own-risk. We're going to get more into the setting of that when we get closer to picking those games. But again, that's at the end of the show. Going to break down some games. A four-piece, extra sauce, coming in hot. Going to break down some of the biggest heavyweight matchups of the weekend that is to come. But before we get into that, we got to talk about Texas. And Texas put some great things on tape this past weekend when they played Alabama. Got up for Alabama, right? Game day was there. Big noon kickoff was there. A ton of excitement, a ton of buzz. But now the dust has settled. Those pregame shows have moved on to greener pastures, taking on whatever week three has in store for them. And the noise around this Texas program, maybe even the eyeballs in terms of the national stage, has sort of drifted elsewhere. And so for Texas... What are you going to do next? Had a great showing against Alabama. Threw some great punches. I mean, you lost the game by one point when the spread was 20. It's hard to be upset at that effort. Two things to do now. Two things that could happen, I should say. The first for Texas is you can say, okay, we threw our best punch. Let's take a load off, boys. Let's, let's sort of take a break here now. Good effort. Good showing. Let's catch our wind a little bit and Relax. We've proved a point. Let's relax. Or you can say a lot of good things on tape, a lot of good things we did well. I think we proved a lot of things that we thought we could do on the field. We validated some of those even with the dinged-up quarterback situation. Let's build on that. Foot on the gas. Like Steve Sarkeesian says, all gas, no brakes. We're going to keep this thing pushing in the right direction. What does Texas do? Because they are very clearly at a crossroads as a program right now. I think how they respond in week three after this Alabama game is going to be the most telling of the development of Texas going forward. Where is that culture at? Because that's consistently the question around Austin. What's the, te- what's the Texas culture like? What's it like in that locker room? What's it like in that coaching staff? What's the attitude? What's the character like? Did they truly get an exodus of those players that were Bad apples, more or less, via the Bo Davis ran. Other things to sort of get them out of town? Or is it still a work in progress? I think the UTSA game will tell us a lot. Because the great teams, the teams that play really meaningful games in early January, their focus, their intentions, their intensity even more so, isn't dictated by a logo across from them. It doesn't matter if you have FCS West across from you or the Alabama Crimson Tide. We're bringing our A game. It don't matter. It doesn't matter. The external circumstances don't play into how we play. We're showing up against a faceless opponent every single week. That's what the great ones do. And so now for Texas, you had Alabama across from you last week. Gave them a great showing. Gave your best shot. Nobody is scoffing at what Texas did in a loss last week. Now UTSA comes to town. The logo, no knock on the Roadrunners, it's a little bit different than that script day. Has a little bit less excitement around it. There's no college game day in town this weekend. I don't know what the attendance is going to be like in DKR, but I would imagine that there's going to be a little bit less of a crowd this coming week for that game. What do you do for an on-car? In addition to that, The locker room, like we talked about, a little bit dinged up. We're not going to speculate too much on these injuries, but Texas will not be at full strength. Is that an excuse or is that flame to the fire? Is that going to cause them to lock arms, rally together and say, okay, we're a little bit behind the eight ball in terms of our health right now? Is that an excuse for us to not play our best against UTSA, or do we have to give a superhuman effort within this locker room and, like we said, circle the wagons, bring your best energy, bring your best self to find a way to compensate that? Because anytime you have injury, you have a chance for other guys to step up within your program. So we see depth, we see character, and I think we see culture exposed for the good or for the bad for Texas this upcoming weekend against UTSA. But I, for one, can't wait to see it. Because we've been waiting on Texas for a while now. We've been waiting on them to eventually get to this point to where they are consistent week in and week out. Because we saw them put a great performance last year against Oklahoma. We saw them take them to the wire. You left that game saying, lost the game. They lost the game, but they put up a really strong fight. Texas is going to be okay the rest of the way. That's what we were saying after that game. Ended up missing a bowl game. Okay? Okay. So we'll see what happens, but I'm excited to see how Texas answers the call for week three of the college football season. Like I mentioned, we got some games to preview. We got a four-piece, like I said, extra sauce, extra crispy, got some good matchups. There is no Sleepy Saturday, I can't stress it enough. The first game we're going to preview, Georgia is going to Willie B to play South Carolina. The number one ranked dogs are favored by 24 and a half. This is a noon Eastern kick. And a lot of interesting storylines around this game. South Carolina took a drubbing against Arkansas last week. Arkansas never was really out of control in that game. Kind of dictated their tempo to South Carolina. South Carolina continued to struggle on the ground. Couldn't really stop the run. Couldn't run the ball for the second week in a row. Spencer Rattler, while they didn't win the game, actually threw for over 350 yards. Threw a touchdown one pick. One pick. Not as consistent as you'd like to see in terms of completions, but still really was carrying his team during this game. I mean, he carried his team on his back to be competitive in that game against Arkansas because he wasn't getting a whole lot of help from other places within that program. Again, the running game and stopping the run was relatively non-existent. So with a spread so large and the defending champions coming to your place, how does South Carolina win this game? If they're going to slag Goliath, and we've seen it happen before. You saw it happen last weekend in college football. The spread wasn't quite 24 and a half to a road team, but still, we've seen anybody can beat anybody. And Shane Beamer said, I don't want to hear that kind of talk around this program, but we're not actually in the, you know, in, in within those walls, right in that building, so we can kind of have that conversation right now. But how does South Carolina win this game? I think first and foremost, you have to win momentum early. Have to find a way to get it. Because Willie B is one of the best atmospheres in college football. That place will be rocking. I mean, it will be absolute anarchy. It'll be chaos at kickoff. Can you capture that? Can you bottle it up? And can you sustain that for a few quarters? If you want to have the crowd behind you for the majority of the game, stay in the game. Be the aggressor. Throw that first punch. All of those things. And I don't care how you do it. It may take some beamer ball in this game to be able to win. In fact, Scratch that. It will take Beamer Ball to win this game. You will have to have an edge in all three phases. Special teams. You may need to block a punt like you get in Georgia State. You might need to find a way to create some extra possessions. You might need to go surprise onside. You might need to empty the bag of tricks with the trick play. It's going to take something extra for South Carolina. But if they try and play ping pong back and forth with Georgia... Sort of the, hey, we're going to wait for you to make a mistake and we'll go from there and we're just going to try and play our game. That can't be what happens. Not to say they need to press and play outside of themselves, but it will take something extra for South Carolina to be able to win this game. And they got to do it early to keep the crowd in it. For South Carolina on offense, I would just say, don't waste time trying to be who you're not. And we've seen, quite frankly, two weeks in a row, South Carolina, struggling to run the football. 40 yards rushing against Arkansas, 79 yards on the ground against Georgia State. Both those programs are real good. Georgia State, obviously, a step below Georgia and a step below Arkansas, but they're going to contend for that conference. Don't waste time trying to be who you're not. Maybe dip your toe in the run game early to see if you can maybe catch them off guard and if you can establish the run at all. Phenomenal, but you've proven, hey, our success on offense is when Spencer Rattler throws the football. Is it the most consistent all the time? No, through two picks against Georgia State. But I think on top of that, if Spencer Rattler is going to be the one throwing the football, and I think he needs to be in terms of what they do offensively, it needs to be Spencer Rattler throwing the ball for them to move the ball offensively, protect him. Protect him with how you call the game because the offensive line has had their struggles as well. But I would look very closely at what Kentucky did against Florida this past weekend. Going into that game, I thought Florida going to pin their ears back and absolutely wallop Will Levis. It happened a couple of times. But what they did really effectively, and what I think South Carolina needs to do to the same token, is get Spencer Rattler moving. Get him on the rollout. Get him on play action. And when you don't have that, get quick game. Get easy access throws for him. It's three steps, balls out. Catching the shotgun, one step, balls out. To where you're not having to get from your first to your second to your third. And oh my goodness, there's a grown man from Georgia absolutely demolishing me right now. If he has to sit back there and wait for guys to get open for four and a half seconds, you got problems. So get the ball out of his hands quick. Give him the opportunity to get the ball out of his hands quick. So that's what I think South Carolina has to do. Be able to throw the ball. Don't waste time being who you're not running the ball. You've shown that's not necessarily your bread and butter. And then defensively and special teams, don't try and play ping pong with these guys. Don't wait for them to make a mistake. Because if you wait for them to make a mistake, just full transparency, it may not happen. And it may not happen until later in the game to where it's too late. Momentum will be crucial for Georgia. Stay the course. Stay the course. The way that you hurt yourself in this game is just that if you hurt yourself. If you want to mess around and somehow give the ball away, you have fluke turnovers, whatever it is, any way that you give this crowd oxygen, any way you give this team life, that's going to be something that compounds on itself. In a raucous road environment, if you want to allow that crowd to stay in the game, it's going to be trouble for you. So be sound is really the best way to say it. Georgia has... Let's call it what it is, one of the best rosters in the country. Not just the SEC, one of the best rosters in the country. Roster don't matter a bit if you're putting the ball on the ground, if you're throwing the ball to the other team. But if Georgia just stays the course, plays their game, I mean, quite frankly, they could play ping pong with South Carolina a little bit here. They could play the we're going to wait for you to make a mistake kind of approach here. But if they do it to themselves, if they make those mistakes themselves, South Carolina is gonna have some oxygen and that's where it could get a little bit dicey for the dogs. Now here are my questions for Georgia. And I wanna make this very, very clear. These are questions, these are not doubts. These are not reservations I have about Georgia, but these are things that we have yet to see from them thus far in the year, so that's why I have questions. First and foremost, Georgia has been an sh- extremely pass-friendly kind of offense. Stetson Bennett has thrown it 30 plus times in both games. They have not had a running back carry the ball more than 10 times this season. Now, I believe Georgia can run the ball. They haven't done it yet, so we'll see what happens there. It remains to be seen, obviously, kind of a wait and see. But I think to win a game like this and beyond for Georgia to get back to the college football playoff to win the SEC, you need to be able to run the ball, especially on the road. When you have however many thousands of fans yelling at you, screaming at you, creating a crazy atmosphere, like again, will he be, will be this coming weekend? You got to be able to just take the air out of the game, turn, hand the ball to Milton, hand the ball to McIntosh. Just allow those dudes to work. Second question I have for Georgia can they get after the quarterback? Because South Carolina's offensive line, like we have already alluded to before in this segment, they have issues. They have a little bit of a leaky faucet issue up front. Georgia so far, they've played great defensively. Don't get it twisted. But through two games, how many sacks do you think they have as a unit? I'm pausing here to allow you to answer. Okay, good. They have one sack through two games. They've been dominant defensively. One sack against Oregon, zero sacks against Samford. I don't doubt they can do it. Believe you me. I know they got some freak shows on that side of the ball. But you got to make Spencer Rattler uncomfortable in this game. Because if you allow him to sit back there and play seven on seven, again, I have my reservations about his decision making, but that's a risk you don't want to take defensively if you're Georgia. You do not want to allow Spencer Rattler to get comfortable, especially with the mismatch I believe you have up front. So we'll see what happens with running the ball and getting after the quarterback. It's going to be something Georgia has to have down the road. They haven't showcased it so far just yet. But again, I think they're capable, just haven't done it yet. But for Georgia, stay the course. Stay the course. Do not hurt yourself in this game. It feels like a fairly obvious statement to say. And believe you me, it is. Georgia knows that. They're telling the same thing to their guys in the locker room. Don't turn the ball over. But if they do, that's where this could get a little bit interesting. So our prediction for this game, at the end of the day, I think Georgia shows some toughness that, yes, they've exhibited in these last two games, but I think they do it in a little bit of a different way. Stetson Bennett, if he throws 30 times a game, I think they're actually going to have somebody else tote the ball a little bit more than they have in the past. I think you see a running back somewhere in the range of 15 carries. Georgia's toughness as a program is going to travel in this game. Georgia's experience in this program is going to travel in this game on the offensive side of the ball a little more than the defensive side of the ball obviously because of the new things they are breaking in on defense but as a whole Georgia too talented too tough I don't think they allow Spencer Rattler and South Carolina to have that last kick they're kind of in that wounded animal mode so that's where it could get kind of risky you get that last kick you get that last effort from South Carolina if they can snuff that out which I believe they will I expect Georgia to sort of take control of this game and win this one. So we have Georgia winning this game 38 to 14. The dogs get it done in their first true road test of the season. Spencer Rattler is a fascinating case study because he put up great numbers, but South Carolina hasn't been able to protect him. If they can protect him, they got a lot of weapons. I'm very interested to see how they develop the rest of the year. Because Marcus Satterfield, he wants to run the football. And they said it at SEC Media Day, we don't want Spencer Rattler to have to be Superman for us to win games. We don't want him to feel like that. You say that, and then he has to throw for 370 yards for you to even be in the game. I'm confused. Moving right along. Oklahoma is going to Lincoln, Nebraska. For a noon kickoff and I cannot wait for this game. Oklahoma is favored by 11 and you know the storyline circulating in Lincoln this week. Unless you've been living under a rock, allow me to illuminate you. Scott Frost was fired after a devastating loss to Georgia Southern. That was kind of the final straw. They spent a good amount of money. To fire him when they did they could have saved themselves a smooth seven and a half million dollars by waiting till october till october 1st they decided no we're not going to do that so enter in mickey joseph he was the receivers coach he's now the interim head coach for nebraska and we'll start with nebraska i'm just fascinated to see how did they respond to their head coach being fired because this is shaping up to sort of be a woe is me oh poor nebraska oh they lost their head coach Season hasn't started how they want to. And they got Oklahoma coming into town. Nobody's giving Nebraska a chance. So what does that do? No pressure for the Cornhuskers. That pressure bubble of having your head coach, is he going to be there? Is he not going to be there? Is he going to be fired by October? Will he finish the year? Pop. That's what just happened. The pressure bubble burst at Nebraska. So all of the tension that was built up, all of the frustration and ambiguity and the storylines that loomed large, those are all gone right now. For Nebraska, they probably have the most locked-in focus they've had or been able to have really since the Northwestern game. I am very intrigued to see how they answer this call to action. I would not be surprised in the slightest if we see a refreshed Nebraska team. I'm not pumping sunshine and rainbows and things of that nature. I'm not trying to sell you some sort of optimistic view of Nebraska. I'm just saying a lot of those distractions have now gone away that were previously there in Lincoln. It's not a knock on Scott Frost, just the nature of the beast when you lose in the fashion they had lost in the past for them to win this game though. Can't let it become a track meet. I would study that app state game from Texas, excuse me from last weekend when they beat Texas A&M. I think it might take that kind of blueprint because Oklahoma's offense is explosive. We'll get to more of them in a second, but you have a running back at Nebraska and Anthony Grant, who for starters, hasn't had a single carry this year that loses yards. He's also averaging six yards a carry. So feed him. He needs to see the ball 25, 30 times. Allow him to just will you forward. Casey Thompson and the offense have actually been pretty good. They've averaged 35 points a game. So there's not a ton of issues. And I say that lightly. I know they have their own deficits within that offense, but you have enough to score points. Like Nebraska should be able to score points for the most part. Casey Thompson also had a bit of success against this Oklahoma team last year. Now I understand this different Oklahoma team in terms of who was coaching them and how the defense was called. And even a lot of those guys that were on that defense last year, I'm just saying if there's any positivity to take away when it comes to when Nebraska has the football. Casey Thompson has had success against Oklahoma. Anthony Grant is a dog. Feed him. If you can't do that, if you can't hold the ball, if you're Nebraska, there may be some issues because you have proven on multiple occasions you have issues stopping the run. I just, I cannot get it out of my head. I'm watching Nebraska Northwestern and they're showing the tight view. And for those of you that don't know, the tight view is essentially you're watching the play that just happened from the offensive line's vantage point. So I'm watching the offensive line. I'm watching the back of the quarterback and watching them play unfold. The defensive line for Nebraska was just deleted from the frame. You're seeing that guard wash down. He just pushes that defensive tackle out of the picture. That ain't good. Hard to win football games when your defensive line is getting deleted from the frame. Okay, so the potential solution to that, I would imagine, is let's add more bodies to the run game. If we're going to lose, we can't lose in the run game. We cannot die a slow death if we're Nebraska. I would say let's trust our DBs. There's been a little bit of adjustment in terms of how they're being coached this coming week. You know, have a guy coaching safeties and corners as opposed to just a whole DBs unit, if that makes sense. Typically, you have a coach for both position group. Nebraska said, we have a DBs coach. That was the Scott Frost era. Come in Mickey Joseph, they said we're going to coach them separately. I think it's a good thing. That's got to be the way that you go if you're Nebraska. You cannot allow yourself to just continue to get run over. So commit something extra to the run game. Find a way to somehow minimize the damage there. And maybe, just maybe, with a crowd at your back, you have a puncher's chance. Again, no more noise. No more chitter-chatter about will Scott Frost be there or not. I think for the first time in a long time, they have some real focus behind this program. For Oklahoma, this is going to be their first real test. They played Kent State, and then played UTEP. Beat the brakes off both of them. Cost us some money, actually, last weekend. Not covering, that's fine. For the Sooners, keep the main thing the main thing. Don't change who you are. Even more so, can you stay who you want to be against your first real opponent? This will be the first time they're tested. Now, I know Nebraska lost to Georgia Southern. I'm not saying that they're necessarily going to be world beaters in terms of what they bring on defense, but it'll be a different caliber of player than Kent State and UTEP. No disrespect to those programs. You still have some guys like Ochon Mathis lined up across from you. You still have Garrett Nelson You got a block. I would venture to say, Neither of those guys, anyone similar to those guys, play at Kent State or UTEP. Just the facts of the matter. okay? Can you still be who you want to be? You want to run a lot of plays. You want to go fast. I think similar to what we just talked about with Nebraska, this rides with the defense. A lot of what Oklahoma wants to do will be dictated by the defense. This will be their first test. This will be the first test for this Oklahoma program. And honestly, we're going to get a good sense of, okay, how much of Brent Venable's blueprint is on this defense. Because you can look good against Kent State and UTEP. I keep saying that over and over again. That's no disrespect to those programs. You can look solid against those teams, but when you play an offense like Nebraska that has been very quietly potent, how much do you have to adjust what you do? Because if you have to just reinvent the wheel and you have to go back to the drawing board and say, okay, we were solid the first two weeks, but we had some issues against Nebraska. I don't think that's the conversation you want to have on Sunday and Monday when you watch this thing back. Can you be who you want to be? Which sounds simplistic. I assure you it's more difficult to do than to say. Oklahoma has a great opportunity to validate a lot of the things they did in game one and game two. Because it'll be a real road test. Let me tell you, that sellout streak in Lincoln, that's real. There's going to be an unfriendly environment. This is a rivalry game. The big eight is back, baby. Well, not all the way back, but in this game, it's back. Dylan Gabriel, a guy that I expect a lot of. I'm curious to see how he leads this team going forward, how he leads this team in this game. When things don't go right, because there will be a time in this game, whether it's a false start or whether it's as big as an interception, when something doesn't break Oklahoma's way for the first time, how much waiver do they have? How cool is their hand? Is it a lot of this or is it we're good? Deep breath. Deep breath. Road environment. Let's settle in now. Excited to see how mature this team is. When it comes to our prediction, though, I cannot get that out of my head. There is too much inconsistency on the defensive line for Nebraska, and something has to give. If they're able to dedicate other bodies to the run game, which I think they're going to have to do, I worry about the matchups on the outside. I worry about who has to cover Marvin Mims. I worry about who's going to cover Stoops. I think that Oklahoma, at the end of the day, just has too many answers for what Nebraska could potentially supply to combat them on the defensive side of the ball. So our score prediction in this one, I think Nebraska actually gives a strong kick in the first half. I think they give them a little bit to play with, but ultimately I think Oklahoma steadies themselves and wins this game. Final score 34-21 Sooners win in Lincoln. Oklahoma, playoff team for us. I know it's been two games. A lot of people's playoff boards are sort of in the trash now. Ours is still staying above water, but again, it's going into week three. A lot of these teams haven't really played anybody yet. Excited to see what they do. Should get a good litmus test for Oklahoma in that game. I think we learned a lot about Oklahoma. For Nebraska, going to be a good gut check in their first game post-Scott Frost era. Speaking of gut checks, Penn State is going to Jordan-Hare Stadium to play Auburn. A 3.30 Eastern kick. Penn State is favored by three points. And this, to me, I have it written on my notes, blue-collar game of the week. Both these teams want to be physical. Both these teams want to play tough defense. Both these teams want to stop the run. Something has got to give. For Auburn, this is a revenge game. Because you remember they went to Happy Valley last year in wide-out conditions. I feel like they should have won that game. That's the feeling in-house. We feel like we very easily could have won that game a year ago. So they're going to circle the wagons. A lot's happened, obviously, in Auburn, Alabama since then. But they're going to go in there with T.J. Finley at quarterback. I went back and watched the game they played against San Jose State. And in a word, a little bit sloppy. In the first half alone, they had eight penalties for 70-plus yards, and the operation was not clean. I mean, they're they're just struggling to get the thing going, and you look like your your second game of the year, which is okay. So, does it concern you a lot? In in house, at least they're saying we got to get this fixed. At the very least, they're saying we got to find a way to be sound operationally. We can't have this kind of sloppiness. So, is it necessarily something you got to write home about and be super concerned about? I think we'll see how much it hurts you in this game. So, if if they're going to be sloppy, if they're going to be operationally out to lunch, It's it's you, you can't make those mistakes against Penn State and still be able to be in this football game. The game plan for Auburn, feed Tank Bigsby. Feed that man. Feed number four. Allow him to get going because they sputtered a little bit early offensively in the first half against San Jose State. When they really got going was when Tank Bigsby got going, when that offensive line got a push. That's what's going to have to be the flavor of the day for Auburn. If they can get three yards here, four yards there, start to slowly wear down this Penn State defense, that's going to make all the difference in the world. Because then it opens up something for T.J. Finley. It opens up what he wants to do down the field. He's got a big arm. He made some great throws against San Jose State. I was impressed at times with T.J. Finley. There are other times where I'm saying, my guy, what are you doing? We can't be making throws like that. We can't be making decisions like that. That's going to be a really interesting hinge point for this game. Because again, a lot of it varies on how much you can get in the run game for Auburn. Now an X factor for the Tigers, what do you get from Robbie Ashford in this game? Because let me tell you, he is real deal fast. On that read option, when he decides to pull it, when that defensive end decides he wants to crash, Robbie Ashford gets out the back door quick fast in a hurry. He is a dude with the ball in his hands. Also had some struggles in the pass game last week. I'll be curious to see how much they ask of him there. But he could be the guy that ultimately makes the difference for Auburn to win this game. Because if they take away Tank Bigsby, if they want to try and ratchet down on the pass game, Robbie Ashford could sort of be that ace up your sleeve for Auburn. So we'll see what happens there, but excited to see how he's utilized and what his role is going forward in a big-time game like this in Jordan-Hare. My other question for Auburn, can you stretch the field when Penn State does say, all right, enough of that. We're Penn State. We've given up less than 100 yards a game right now on the year. We're not going to let you run the ball anymore. Maybe they allow it to go on for a quarter, quarter and a half. Maybe it's the whole first half. Maybe it's three quarters. But when Penn State says, we're not going to let you run the ball anymore, if they have the ability to do that, assuming, can T.J. Finley and this receiving corps, Can they find a way to stretch the field vertically and make them pay? Because that's going to be crucial when you want to run the ball and that's your attitude and that's your identity. That's great. But to have something off of that is equally important and needs to be the case for Auburn to win this game. So for Penn state, kind of a similar theme, if you will, we talked about a blue collar game of the week. Can you generate a ground game? Because we talked about that for the majority of the offseason, Penn State having that ever-elusive 100-yard rushing game. They got it last week in Nick Singleton. He is a stick of dynamite, former five-star recruit, a guy they expect to be the future in Happy Valley. They're excited about him. Can he have an encore in a big-time matchup against Auburn and that SEC front seven? Can they generate something on the ground game to allow Sean Clifford to cook? Because that was sort of the issue previously. Folks didn't have to they didn't have to try and honor the fact that Penn State was going to try and run the ball because they couldn't. They weren't able to get anything going. And so as a defense, you say, you can't run the ball? Good luck, quarterback. We're coming after you. Generating something on the ground game will help Sean Clifford. And Sean Clifford, been playing football now for 47 years at Penn State. He's got some experience. You don't think that makes a little bit of a difference when it comes to an intense environment at Jordan-Hare? You don't think that maybe helps give Penn State a just slight edge in this one. Experienced quarterback, T.J. Finley and Robert Ashford, unexperienced quarterbacks. So that's that. For Auburn, when it comes to trying to stop Penn State and Penn State for trying to keep the ground game, excuse me, keep the offense moving, keep the chains moving, can you avoid these passing downs? Can you avoid having third and seven, third and nine? Because when that happens, again, that's where Auburn wants to get you at if you're Penn State. And Sean Clifford, for as experienced as he is, for all the ability he has, that's not a spot you want to be in on the road. So those are, I think, sort of the two variables I'm watching for both teams. Create some space for your quarterback in the run game. Be able to answer in the pass game. That's the big deal in this game. So our prediction for this one, I think Penn State's maturity is just so crucial having a guy like Sean Clifford heading into this environment, the uncertainty around Auburn, the pressure on Auburn to win this game, the conversation around Brian Harson's job to win this game. I'm not saying if Penn State does beat Auburn that Brian Harson's fired, don't get it twisted, but for all the uncertainty that's surrounded him from this past offseason, this would be a very meaningful win for Brian Harson. for James Franklin and company, I think that their maturity and the experience and the toughness they've proven they have, especially on the defensive side of the ball and what they're going to do with Nick Singleton in this game allows them to win this game. So I think it's a close one. I think it is an absolute dogfight. Well, I guess they're both sort of cats. So an absolute catfight, if you will, a big catfight. I think Penn State wins this one 27 to 24. So if you like minus three, you push. If it moves at all, you know where we fall on this one. We think Penn State wins this game. I think they win it by three. That'll be a very, very good game. That'll be the game that we're talking about on Sunday, I would imagine, because of how much we're going to learn about Auburn and truthfully how much we're going to learn about Penn State going on the road to Jordan-Hare in one of the toughest places to play in college football. If they can get it done, that would say a lot about where this program's at moving forward. I don't want to say my favorite game of the week. The game that I am most fascinated by, and I'm fascinated by all these games, Miami going to College Station to play Texas A&M. Texas A&M, if you remember correctly, dropped a game last week at home against Appalachian State. They're favored by five in this game. This is a nine Eastern kick, so eight Central for the folks in College Station at Kyle Field. We're going to learn a lot about both teams. I'll get to more of that later in this prediction segment, but we're going to learn a lot about both teams in this game. So Miami, they're five-point dogs. How do they go about winning this game? I think Appalachian State provided the blueprint. I think Appalachian State showed you, hey, if you can be consistently physical, which is the theme across any college football game, but especially with what A&M has, you have a chance to win the game. Now, Miami has two backs that I'm really excited to watch, Henry Parrish and Thaddeus Franklin. Thaddeus Franklin is a big boy. Something like six foot two forty, if they can feed them, allow them to be the one two punch, have that combo that just wears down this A and M front seven. Advantage Miami. That's what they're going to want to do. If they can be consistently physical and just wear them down like some rapids over water, that would be the game plan for Miami. Now, in addition to that, you got to be able to limit the spark plays on defense, because A and M has a lot of what I like to call powder keg kind of players. We haven't seen it just yet, but they're there. Anais Smith, all it takes is a spark for that powder keg to go off. Evan Stewart, if he gets even just a little bit of a flame, powder keg goes off. We haven't seen it just yet. It's not something that they've put on tape a ton, but believe you me, if those sparks start flying, if they can get going just a little bit, it's going to make for some explosive plays. Mario Cristobal said it this week. They've got guys that are legitimately scary fast, track fast, legit times. Devon A-Chain, one of those guys. If they get going, if they get a crease, if they find something they like, it's going to be a long day for Miami. So limit those spark plays. Don't allow those powder kegs to get any room for air. At the end of the day, my question for Miami is, can Tyler Van Dyke win the game for you? When you ask Tyler Van Dyke to put you on his back, whether it's a game-winning drive, whether it's end of the half, whatever it is, Tyler, we need this from you to win the game. Is he able to do that? I think he's capable. I'm very curious to see in a road environment like this what his response is and what this Miami as a team response is. James Williams, another guy that you got to watch in this game, 6'5", something he's playing safety. He's going to be a big part of what they do on defense as well. So that's sort of the sumnation for Miami. Limit the spark plays, be able to be the more consistently physical team. At the end of the day, when TVD has the rock and a chance to win the football game, can he do it? Remains to be seen. For Texas A&M, obviously kind of licking their wounds a little bit from last week against Appalachian State. If it is Haynes King, which at this point in time, it is Haynes King, Jimbo said, we'll reassess. I wouldn't be surprised if they changed that game time. But for right now, it is Haynes King. Can you manage him? Can you manage Haynes King? Can you give him quick throws? Can you get him going in the run game? What can you do to help him out? Because I understand it's not 100% on him, but what he can control, I haven't seen him control effectively. Can he be better when it comes to making decisions? Can he be better in terms of moving the offense? Whatever you're doing right now, it ain't working. Whatever you have on his plate right now, he's not liking. I don't know what exactly you got to do differently, but I think it has to start with getting him more comfortable because he does not look comfortable in this offense. Whether it's too much to process, whether it's something that doesn't play to his skill set, you got to be malleable. Got to be malleable and got to play to your quarterback. Because if you want to turn it over like we've seen him do in the past, turnover equals game over. If Texas A&M turns the ball over twice in this game, I don't think they win. That's sort of the stat for me, that I would take home to my mom and say, Mom, they turned it over twice. She says that makes sense why they lost the football game. And I love my mother dearly. For AM as well, I think you need to be honest. You need to be honest. Because you've said for a while now, hey, we want to be a team that throws the ball downfield. We want to be explosive. Mario Cristobal's worried about that. He's already said it. They got some guys that can run. You, you want to be a team that goes downfield? Okay, well, one, let's dial it up some more. Let's try and push the ball downfield more. Two, you believe you have a quarterback that can do that. I have my own reservations, like I've mentioned. Men lie, women lie, tape don't lie, and he hasn't done it well on tape consistently, so we'll see. But if you want to really challenge downfield, well, let's see it. In this game, let's see it. Because that front seven from Miami has been stingy so far. I haven't really played anybody, but they've been stingy to this point. You're going to have to have explosive plays to beat Miami. That's just the fact of the matter. You got the guys to do it. You got the guys that can pop the top. Do you have the quarterback to do it? Even more so, do you have the gumption to where when it is second and one, you're going to go ahead and dial it up? When it's time to call a shot, will you call a shot? I'm fascinated by that. Remains to be seen. Haynes King still got to pull the trigger on those deep passes, but Show me that you are who you say you want to be. At the end of the day, for both of these programs, it is gut check time for different reasons. For Miami, they're a team that is trying to ascend to the top tier of college football. They want to get Miami back to being the you. Well, how do you do that? Starts with games like this. Starts with games where you go into College Station at Kyle Field in one of the most insane atmospheres in the country, and you silence them and you win that game. That's how you take a step towards becoming elite. This is a stepping stone. Can you take that next step? That's why it's gut check time for Miami. For Texas A&M, you're looking your wounds. Just got a knockout punch handed to you from App State. How much pride's in that locker room? How much does it mean to you to be at Texas A&M to play for that program? How much pride is there in-house? Because now we're going to get to see It's easy to talk all off season. It's easy to speculate and talk about the talent you have on your roster and don't get it twisted. They have talent at A&M, but now that you've been knocked down, got embarrassed, how do you respond? Are you going to start pointing fingers and sort of collapse and say, all right, let's pack it in. We're not playing for a national championship this year, or do you again, get together, figure out the problems dry erase what happened last week, and go forward. I think that'll tell us a lot about a and I think it'll also tell us a lot about how far this culture is under Jimbo Fisher. I believe it's solid, but I don't know exactly what we're going to get this coming Saturday when a really good Miami team does come to town. So our prediction for this game, at the end of the day, I think Miami just has more consistent quarterback play. If a and wants to switch it up, maybe it's a different story. But if you're playing Haynes King, I have a hard time picking the Aggies. So much talent, so much ability. Even on defense, they're solid. Only allowed 17 points last week, and they were on the field for 41 minutes of the game. With that being said, if you're going to turn it over and be inconsistent at quarterback and be inconsistent on offense against a good Miami defense, I don't know what to tell you. So do they test that secondary and try and capitalize on some potential weaknesses we saw last week against southern miss you would hope so but i haven't seen anything at quarterback to give me confidence so what it comes down to i like tvd better than haynes king and i think haynes king ultimately is the one that kind of holds them back a little bit from what they're able to do offensively and scoring points so i like miami going to kyle field and win this game in a tight one, 24-17. That would be huge. That would be huge for this Miami program. Think about what that does for recruiting. Because that's it's been the knock on Miami. Kind of similar to Texas. There's been conversations about their toughness and their culture. And what they're capable of versus what they actually do. For recruiting, to walk into a kid's living room and say, you turned that game on against AM, You see us play on a national stage. You see what we did to that team with all those talented five stars and all the ability they have, and their phenomenal coaching staff, their great head coach, Nubo Fisher, who does have some jewelry. You see what we did? Come play for Miami. That's what we're going to do. That's going to be us. going to be our calling card. That would be a very big deal for Miami if they're able to get that done going forward. So now, as we move forward as a program, got to flip it back to Against the Suits. Listen, if you've tailed us last week, I salute you because we had a rough week. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We had a rough week. We did not pick a lot of winners. Here's what I will say. Don't get scared now. Don't get scared now. Don't start to be uncomfortable with some of the things that you've seen from the picks or some of the things that maybe you don't feel great about so far. Don't do it. Kobe Bryant said it. I would rather go 0 for 30 before I go 0 for 8. Because you go 0 for 8, that means you lost confidence. You stopped shooting. Guess what? On this program, none of that from us here. None of that. So we got five winners and an at-your-own-risk. You know the drill. Without further ado, let's get into it. USC versus Fresno State. We like USC minus 12 and a half. You want to know my note on this game? Just one word. Offense. Exclamation mark as well. Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison were cooking last week against Stanford. I think they continue that. Caleb Williams, his touchdown and interception numbers, excuse me, his touchdown and incompletion numbers even more so are comparable. He's thrown just about as many incompletions as he has touchdowns, or the numbers are very, very close. So we like USC to put up points. We like USC to cover that 12 and a half. They are so far 2-0 against the spread. Another team that is 2-0 against the spread that we're rolling with, Marshall, minus 16 and a half at Bowling Green. Marshall just put Marshall Law into effect in South Bend, Indiana. So they say, let's take this show on the road again to Bowling Green. I think they cover that 16 and a half. That program is hot. Vegas can't figure them out. Roll party, roll. BYU is also 2-0 against the spread. You're sensing a theme here. They're plus 3 and a half at Oregon. Autzen Stadium, tough place to play. Don't get it twisted. It'll be a ruckus environment. Phil Knight and company, they're on hand. Nike Town, in Oregon, all that. BYU was just the tougher team last week against Baylor. They just were, and they found a way to get it done. Some special teams miscues, hopefully they get that cleaned up, but we like BYU to at the very least cover, that three and a half. So we like BYU in that game, plus three and a half. Minnesota. Playing Colorado, minus 27 and a half. What I just say, don't get scared now. Don't tuck tail and turn now. We got to roll, okay? We got to take some of these big lines because big lines are big for a reason. Minnesota's been covering like it's their job. Minus 27 and a half, road a boat, go go first, taking them to cover. Air Force, minus 14 and a half at Wyoming is our last one. We support the troops on this show. I don't know what you want me to say. If we're wrong, we're wrong supporting Air Force. Air Force minus 14 and a half. They have been a force on the ground, no pun intended. we like them to cover that two scores. I think they get it done. I think they get it done pretty comfortably. So we love that. At your own risk. It's a little bit of a a reach, whatever you want to call it. But here's what we're taking. Purdue has to go to upstate New York and play Syracuse. Syracuse favored by a point. Purdue looked pretty strong in the early going against Penn State. Guess what? Going to the dome. Weird things happen in the dome. Vegas has got Syracuse as a point and a half. Excuse me, as a point favorite. If it goes to a point and a half, so be it. We'll roll with it. But we like Syracuse to cover minus one in this game. So those are our picks. USC. against Fresno State. Marshall minus 16.5 at Bowling Green. BYU plus 3.5 at Oregon. Minnesota minus 27.5 against Colorado. Air Force, we salute the troops, minus 14.5 at Wyoming. The at-your-own-risk pick, which we will not count towards our record, but if you want to play with some house money and make yourself some more money, we like Syracuse minus one with Purdue coming to the Dome. All right. Good show. Good show all around. Appreciate you tuning in. Nick Brake, doing the heavy lifting on the ones and twos, making everything that you see here happening. We are on podcast. Apple, we're there. Spotify, we're there. A quick PSA before we get off the air right now. Got some very, very exciting news. We've been doing this back and forth from a premiere standpoint. What does that mean? It means that we tape this video and then we put it on air at a certain time. So it goes live on YouTube, but it's not actually live live. Folks, we are going live, live this Sunday, 7 Eastern, 6 Central. They're taking the safety net. And they're pulling it right out from under us. So we got some live YouTube TV, I guess, more or less coming at you to recap the incredible weekend that is inevitably upon us in week three of the college football season. going to be a great way for us to interact a little bit more, incorporate y'all into the show more. And I'm fired up for it. Me and Nick break ready to get after it. We'll see y'all there. Again, that is 7 Eastern, 6 Central on Sunday. All right, roll party roll. Thank you for tuning in. Like I just said, we're so fired up to have you along for this ride. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. A lot of great things going on here. We are cooking with oil. So we're going to keep on doing that. In addition to that, we're going to keep the party rolling. And we will see y'all next time. Step into the world of power, loyalty